Everyone's unique. Mm. Everyone has their own precious story. What's happened to you might not have happened to me. You just have to put it down on paper for the next generation, mm. for your children. Welcome to My Way, a podcast that shares the stories of people who are doing life their way. Listen along as we explore what works, what doesn't, and the experience that happens no matter which path we choose. I'm your host, Sunny Collins. Thanks for listening. Sunny here. Welcome to episode 27 of My Way. This is the last part of a conversation I had with seasoned Graytonian and spinner of yarns, Carol Gibbs. If you haven't listened to the last two episodes, don't miss out on that. Go back and listen to those first. In this episode, we hear more stories ranging from an escape artist named Liza and how apartheid affected Grayton. Carol will be one of the authors at the Franchuk Literary Festival the 17th through the 19th of May to talk more about her first book, All Things Bright and Broken. So mark your calendars for that if you're in the area. So I have a confession to make. I'm a bit obsessed with voices, the pacing, the tone, the accent and intonation, the presence or absence of an R or a T, the pauses. And as an immigrant in South Africa, it's something that maybe I'm a little bit self-conscious about. And so I pay particular attention to voices. And what I want to say about Carol is that I love her voice. She could read me the weather report as a bedtime story and I'd be happy. So here's the last bit of her story. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Have there been any moments where you felt like, I don't want to live here anymore? Or this place uh, isn't for me? No, only because those are my thoughts now, mm. because I've reached an age where my health um, is such that I spend my life driving to Hermanus, you know, to heart specialists and or Somerset West. And you just and, and here's the downside. Okay, I'm obsessive. I don't want to die in the hospital when they want to visit me <laughs> or in the back of a car. Or in a hospital full stop. You know, the, the point is, yeah. the choice you make when you reach my age in Grattan is, do I move on closer to a hospital with the present, considering the present conditions I have, or do I just brave it out, stay in Grattan in this beautiful place and take my chances that I might not get to a hospital on time? That's basically it. Mm. I can't imagine leaving here. Mm. You know, I, I cannot resent the progress because I was part of the progress. Don't forget when I came here, there were no antique shops. I mean, there was only one shop and that was the Country Mouse, which belonged to Barbara Shaw, the estate agent who sold this property. And and then, so I'm part of the rot, if you want to look at it coldly. Mm. Um, I've tried to preserve what I can. This building had a loft. I kept on asking... What is up there? Bolt cutters, lock. Guess what? The loft was full of junk. We found an unbelievable amount of panties and bras. I'm serious. What? I looked at this. What? Boys boarding school, maybe? It remains a mystery. 
but it's the truth. So that woman remained a mystery forever. But lovely story. I wanted to I wanted to get for Michelle a sheep for her birthday. Now we're in the country to crop the grass. <laughs> so the jungle drums go this way. Corrie, who's just died on Valentine's Day, by the way, who was working at the Indraf at the time, she said she'd organise it. I said, don't tell Michelle, it's a secret. Wake up and there's a donkey tethered in the backyard with a nappy sand bucket full of water. So look at this donkey, Michelle. I said, it's your birthday present. One Gavin pitches up and Gavin says, no, he heard from Corrie that we needed a lawnmower, so he brought the donkey. Her name is Lysa. Lysa, we discover, is so old, she can't plough fields anymore, no one wants Lysa. So he says, he'll come to fetch her after a week. A week goes by, no Gavin. Two weeks go by, no Gavin. Gavin never came back for Lysa, did he? So Lysa became part of the household. And guess what? I used to walk Lysa. And in order to do that, by now we bought the other half of the property that belonged to the lady with the one tooth and the nine children. And all nine children had to be consulted as to selling this property, you understand. It was protracted, it took years. I negotiated with the with a guy. He was a, his maiden, his um, name was LaRue, my maiden name was LaRue. So I got on quite well with him because I could speak Afrikaans. So eventually we got that off. So I would take Liza from here she was stabled where the double garage is. It was so fertile, the vegetables, because she used to poo there. Take her through the house, down the road, with the dog and the cat, for walks. I'm serious. That was great in the early days, and it was just part of life. Yeah. But Liza was an escape artist. She used to get off this property. And same friend with the BMW, Fona. Liza's gone. Okay, I'll come and help. This tiny in the BMW would go looking for this donkey. We found it in someone's backyard and she'd pulled the pole over that holds the washing line and tangled herself in the line. Anyway, we went on holiday and Liza ended up in the pound. So we found our other friend, Des Wagner. Dr. Wagner lived up in Park Road. And he said, don't worry, he will look after Liza. He will feed her and will get her out of the pound when we were due to come back. When we got back, it'd been feeding the wrong white donkey. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, here's the thing. I was in Cape Town with my friend Anne Walton. I don't know if you know the name. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, she's also written about 90 books. I was visiting Anne Walton. Michelle found me and said, Liza is desperately ill. We're going to have to put her down. And the police want to shoot her. And Michelle said, over my dead body. So we got the, the vet from Caledon. You know what her last meal was? A tipsy tart. Carried to her like that by Michelle. She had a tipsy tart as her last meal. She was just old. She collapsed and died in this field. Now, in Grayton, there's a family called Driver. They elected to keep their house in Grayton and not bail out with the apartheid thing. Okay. This is old Grayton. I phoned him and told him Lysa was dead. He came and I said, Mr. Driver, before we do this, what do I owe you? He said, nothing. Wouldn't charge us in. Mm. Got his men, got Liza, God knows how, onto that truck and took her down to the thing and buried her and we planted geraniums on the grave. Oh. That's the old Grayton. 
That's the old great and it's yeah. disappeared forever and we have to record it. Mm. The stories I've been telling you are genuine stories. They're about real people. Real people. Pardon me also wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, apartheid and how how that what that looked like just in this village during the time that you were here. It was a great sadness to know that this village operated beautifully without apartheid. People lived side by side, and the lady and her husband lived on the main road, and she posted pictures of her children playing with children from next door. In fact, the drivers lived very close to her, the gentleman I was telling you about, about taking Lysa away, and she said it it was such a wonderful village, and then... In the 70s, I think it was, when people had the choice of either staying in their house, but they were not allowed to leave it to their children. Can you believe that? That was the rule. They could either move up to Hilvokra and stay in their houses for life, but not pass it on to the next generation. And there, there were three families that I know of that stayed. The Cooksons, who still live in um, the flat, little flat-roofed house in Oak Street. Mm-hmm. The Cooksons, lovely family. Mr. Driver, and his name was Gepat, and he was a liftman at Stutterford's, and he always wore a red shirt and a suit, and they lived in Play Street. Do you know the tradition in this village when I arrived here, which I still did until the end of 2017 when I closed my doors, if a funeral procession comes past, you close your doors for business as a sign of respect. Did you know that? No. Absolutely. And the customers would say, what are you doing? Are you going on lunch? No, it's fine. It's just a funeral going by. Sign of respect. Mm. So those are the traditions that I miss. Those are the little things. If you had a, if you had a bride, um, my bride was in Cape Town, my daughter. I did the flowers in this village, if you had a bride, you could knock on any door and ask for flowers and they would be given. Really? Flowers for the bride, yes. I did it. That's lovely. Don't you think it's just these traditions that have gone? Yeah. Flowers for the bride. It was a gentler time. So I was wondering, would you read a passage from your book? Yes, sure. Ah, two coffee, one milk. Yes, gosh, I love that. We can't call her half Nachi because she's a grown-up. So we call her two coffee, one milk, the way my daddy does. The coloured people and the white people know her well because she's a friend in their time of need. If you need my services, I'm at your service, home undertaker. Her real name is Sinta and she smells of blue spirits. Auntie Dolly says she sometimes works for the poor for nothing. Just give me a dop. Sweet wine will do. When she lays the bodies out, she removes their false teeth and folds their arms across the chests. I always put rouge on the cheeks of the deceased to make them look good and to cheer up the mourners. Her hands are smooth from rubbing oil into dead people's bodies, like in the Bible. She plugs up all the holes with cotton wool to stop the number two and the pee from running out. Tezra and I get the giggles, but Gabriel says it's disrespectful to laugh at the dead. Two coffee, one milk wears black. 
with a morning brooch at her throat, a big black cloak and boots with buttons up the sides. When she passes our doll's house in her horse-torn cart, she's on serious business. She has a big brown leather Gladstone bag beside her. We don't wave because you have to show respect, but on her way back it's a different story. Cinta holds a flickering candle in a brown paper packet to light the way, her shadow looming big and scary. Thank your lucky stars you're alive. I feel so happy I could dance. It's because she's done a good job of getting a dead person into a box. Daddy says it's the top. We're brave now and we wave. Have you ever seen a dead person? Gabriel asked Desiree. No, but you want to touch one. Here, hold your finger up and put it against mine. Now feel our pressed together fingers. Ach, sis. I bet you don't know the body's fart before she puts the cotton wool in. How would you like to be locked in a room with dead people farting? Do dead people's farts smell different? Sis, man, don't be revolting. But we really don't know about dead people. All we know is what we learn when we're over at the funerals. Two coffee, one milk and Auntie Dolly sit at the kitchen table drinking tea out of Auntie Dolly's best teacups, the ones with the English cottage and the hollyhocks. When Mr. Finnan comes home from work, he doesn't care if two coffee, one milk is sitting in his house, even in his favourite chair, drinking cups of tea with Auntie Dolly. Daddy is disgusted when he hears things like that. If they lived overseas, he could have married two coffee, one milk, no questions asked. She even calls him Connor to his face without blushing. It's ridiculous. Cinta sees us out of the corner of her eye. Visella, who they? She whispers to Auntie Dolly. We hear Auntie Dolly tell her our sad story. Sweet kids, but my heart goes out to them. Nervous wrecks, all three of them. You don't want to know how their father carries on. They've been through so much, I wish I could do something. She shifts in her seat and blows her nose. Sinta says, Ach, sister, now I see who they are. They're the children from across the street. We have lots of the same thing going on in Mossiness. It's a terrible business for Skrikluk. Auntie Dolly says, what worries me is what's going to happen to them when the anger and frustration gets too much for them. Someone's bound to get hurt. Someone has to be the scapegoat. Oh, Sinta nods. Auntie Dolly sighs the biggest sigh we've ever heard and carries on with her stories. She tells Sinta how she used to sleep in her uniform when she was a student nurse because she was afraid of being late for duty. Sinta says, isn't it funny that she, Sinta, has no training at all, not at Krivsky Hospital or a nursing college or anywhere else in the world, but she says she's a natural. I just love to hear the things people talk about before they die, the mystery of life and death. At first you grill, but you get used to it. When you are alone with the deceased, you feel happy to be alive, and the least you can do is take your time and do a proper job. When you're washing the dead, their whole life flashes before your eyes from the cradle to the grave. I don't mind sitting with the sick, but I don't think I'm cut out for your job. Sometimes it's a secret you've kept close to your heart for years, Winksinter. You know what I mean? Like here comes the bride all fat and wide and she laughs. Then you have to take a decision whether to tell the family or not before you leave the death room. The children from Mossiness say she has special powers like a witch and she can turn you into smoke or a baboon or anything she wants. They say the smell of death clings to her. 
so that flunkies outside the baby shop hold their noses when she goes in to buy her spirits. Your ma's a proverbial, she says crossly, giving them some of their own medicine. And your grandma's proverbial too. When we ask mommy what that big word means, she says, two coffee, one milk knows they are too young to understand, but it gives her the satisfaction she needs. We don't understand either. Auntie Dolly says she's trying hard to be a lady and to have some standing in the community, but we've heard her use big swear words when some scholar interferes with her. She gives them a piece of their mind. Oh, pas, ik het my Afrikaanse tanne in vandag. Ek is feil met my bek, maar my koek is op sy plek. Auntie Dolly asks what that means. I told them I, am, I have my Afrikaans teeth in, she laughs. That means I can swear better. Those scholars, they understand our more sinners' sense of humour. I'm fond of my people, but sometimes they really get on my coloured nerves. I told them I might have a foul mouth, but my nether regions know how to behave. And then they laugh and laugh. My daddy, though, has the last word. Work my means, he says. She's only human. She does people a good service, and you can't spend the rest of your life being scared of someone. Sometimes I love my daddy. On Sundays, when he takes us for a drive to Bloberg in his van, I'm not scared of him. I'm only scared of him when he gives me a hiding, or when he smells of brandy and his eyes bulge and the veins stand out in his neck. Then I'm more scared of him than of Sinter and the dead people who lie with their arms crossed over their chests. It's one of my favourites. <laughs> really? Yes. But you know, there's so much of old Cape Town in here mm. and the social norms of the time, like killing your own chicken for Sunday lunch. We ordered that. And somebody else said to me, somebody sent me a mail to say they read the book and for them the whole thing fell into place when the aunt was given the marching orders from the house because she was consulting with a coloured man. It kind of, and the cups being sterilised in the... Yes. I don't know where I got that from. So in the book, you, I, I love how Colleen is, uh, she's always asking what words mean, certain words. What does this mean? What does that mean? And so towards the end, somewhere she says, what is a legacy? Um, oh, do you yes, remember that? Yes. Yeah. That was, that was when Yanni Smuts died. Yes. And the principal was saying he left a legacy. Right. So what what do you want your legacy to be? Wow. I've always said that on your deathbed, if you can say it's been a good ride, that would be something. Mm. I think my legacy is, is my writing. You know, I've left this for my children. There's no doubt about it. And I've given my granddaughter a copy which she hasn't read. I read somewhere that very often your, your own children and your family, it's too much for them. Your children, believe it or not, even though they are 50-something, still can't get their heads around that their mother lived this life. Not a bad life, any life. You know, they, I actually think that, that, that children come into their own when their parents die. They're able to be totally on their own with no judgment Somehow I just think that that's when you become an adult, mm. a proper adult. Mm. But I think, I don't think, I know I'm lucky to be able to leave this uh, for the children yeah. and the grandchildren and the, and the next generation. I would have loved it if my mother had written a book or my grandmother. 
um, I think it's the most powerful thing you can do. And when I do give my talks, I encourage people to write. And my words to them are, you don't have to be a Somerset Maud. You don't have to be a Barbara Kingsolver. You just have to be you. And you pick up a pen and you write these words. I was born on, put your birth date in, in and the city, and you will see it will follow from there. Mm. And you know, Michelle's mother, I encouraged her to write. And she did. She wrote her story and she died when she'd come to their 50th wedding anniversary. And that story's gone around the world to all the nieces and nephews. I asked my mother lots of questions. Believe it or not, I didn't remember the answers, but I forgot the details. Mm. I'm sorry I didn't write it down. I'm sorry I didn't sit with my mum with the tape recorder. I'm sorry I didn't encourage her to write her story. And you know, the children, the grandchildren, if you ask them, where do you want to go for holidays? It was always grand. My mum. Mm. Because she... She, she was, just seemed like such a she was rock. Wonderful with the children, you know, she used to build houses for them over the table, you know, like, mm. and, and make special sandwiches for them to eat in there. And she was just, she loved her grandchildren. And she was, she was giving and gentle. And in my second book, I talk about the teenagers being drawn to my mother like bees to a honeypot. She saw them through unwanted pregnancies. She saw them through all sorts of things. She never turned anyone away. Do you know, when you become an author, I mean, you write this book and you strive, and I cannot tell you, if I have read these words once, I've read them 300 times. The perseverance and the determination that goes into writing a book, I don't know if it's like that for everyone, but this was the hardest thing I've ever done, not only emotionally, but the actual hard graft. Everyone's unique. Everyone has their own precious story. What's happened to you might not have happened to me. You just have to put it down on paper for the next generation, for your children. I hope you enjoyed the final part of this trilogy conversation with Carol Gibbs. And though we talked a lot about her book, you have to check out her 3D art. Some of her assemblages can be found on her Facebook page at Carol Gibbs Author Art. And if you live in Grayton, you can check them out at Roots and Willow and Bailey. And the most incredible thing, she brings a sort of traveling assemblage of objects directly related to the objects found in her book, All Things Bright and Broken. And seeing it was such a gift especially when I got to meet Priscilla. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and follow at Podcast Cowgirl on Facebook and Instagram for photos and updates. And if you have a few minutes, please, please, please take the time to rate the podcast. On iTunes, it looks like I'm up to five ratings right now. Five! Okay, four. Because, yes, I rated my own podcast and I gave it five stars. Just full disclosure. Anyway, it would be a huge help if you rated the podcast in order to help get this podcast out into the greater world. Thanks for listening again, and see you next time.